It's a beautiful reminder in song this morning and in the text in front of us that one day, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. And so we know that one day that's true. We're living today. And those two things are probably more closely connected than we care to think they are or believe they are. And so what Philippians 2 does for us, as we for the past few weeks have been thinking, considering, praying towards what it means for us to be together as a church family, Philippians chapter 2 shows us that we are, are, are a church, and we are together, and we are together in humility. It's, it's how God has put this together. It's how God keeps this together, because we know that one day what we have just declared in song is true and will be true. So we live in light of Christ's example of humility that we see in Philippians chapter 2, that we are the body of Christ, and we are the body of Christ intentionally together. We've seen the past few weeks that we are together in unity. We are together in love. Last week, we saw that we are together in humility. We kind of used Philippians 2 as a starting off point last week. Uh, But today, we'll spend our entire time in Philippians chapter 2 to see, ultimately, that we are together in Christ. And in Christ, this is not just displayed, but it is perfectly displayed for us. So why why then do, do, do we as the people of God choose to come together underneath the lordship of Christ. It's not merely because we are supposed to. It's not merely because that's just what my grandma did and my parents did, so that's what I'm going to do. Like, when we do this, what we are actively saying is that, no, no, this is beautiful. This is God's intended design for the world and for the church, and it's what's best. We come together, and we come together in Christ. That's our aim today in Philippians chapter 2. And so as we approach this text, let's go to the Lord Jesus in prayer again. Father, we come and we come in need of you. Yeah, we don't possess the knowledge. God, we don't possess the will. God, we don't possess the understanding apart from your word and apart from the power of your spirit to fully see and understand this text of scripture before us. And so God, we as a people, we come together in prayer now asking for your help. And God, again, we repeat these beautiful words of this old Anglican prayer and pray this over our time in your word today. God, what we know not, we ask you to teach us. And God, what we have not, we ask you to give us. And Lord Jesus, what we are not, we ask you to make us. So God, use your word to that end today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 11, Jesus is our example of humility. And he comes and he models this for us. He shows this to us, not just for us to be humble for humble's sake, It's not just kind of the means to the end, if you will. Uh, What we see in Philippians chapter 2, that in Christ, humility is the means to glory. That this is the way in which we get to receive and perceive glory. And so what we say when we say that we come together, it is our argument as a church on, on how we live this out. That Christ's example of humility is given to us and practiced among us. So again, the question we seek to answer in our time together, together this morning is, is, is why? 
Why do we come together in Christ? Before we even get to the answer, I would argue that there is no other way for us to come together. He is the only thing that brings us together, that draws us together, that keeps us together. But in Philippians chapter 2, I think we see a couple bullet points here that can help us understand this. And it will encourage us and challenge our hearts to live this togetherness in Christ among us as the body of Christ. And so we'll see together today that we come together in Christ to seek complete joy, to share in selfless humility, and to show that Christ is Lord. I believe that's the argument that we see in this Christ hymn of Philippians chapter 2. So let's begin by seeing how we come together to seek complete joy. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Paul writes, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. You see, from the very beginning, Christ has come for us as a model, as an example of humility. And because he has done that, Paul says, this is all that is available to us. There is encouragement there. There is comfort there. There is participation in the spirit there. There is affection there. There is sympathy there. And all of that on verse 1 is leading to verse 2, and where the, the, the call here is to complete my joy. So the great hope, the great reality for us that transcends human history, that transcends church history, is that we gather together around the word of God as the people of God. And the promise of God is that complete joy is available to us as his children. That it is possible for us as his church. And the reality, I think, of Christianity as we know it today is too many of us are satisfied with incomplete joy. We argue about something being half empty or half full. And what Paul is saying is like, no, 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 like I didn't come for, or Jesus didn't come so your glass could be like still half empty or half full, regardless of whether you're a pessimist or optimist. Either way, like Christ came to make that cup full. And so in him, we have access to complete joy. For us, we are filled Temptation is for us to be filled with ourselves. And when we're filled with ourselves, then we are ultimately and finally lacking fulfillment that is found only in Christ. And Paul is writing to the church to to say, listen, Christ came in his humility to model that humility for you so that you could live this life in complete joy. C.S. Lewis, and you've heard me read this quote a few times from the pulpit in his book, The Weight of Glory, describes this heart condition like this. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. C.S. Lewis writes that we are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. And so like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, that we are far too easily pleased. The argument here is Christians, like we are far too easily pleased. 
We get caught up in power games. We get caught up in political games. We get caught up in social games. We get caught up in career games. And all of these things and all these temptations and all these allures, what we say about the heart of God is that, yeah, God, you offered me complete joy, but if I just add a little something to it, I think I can satisfy myself better, better than you can satisfy me. What Paul is writing is saying, like, that's not true, church. And if you're to follow Christ's example of humility, then we need to understand what complete and infinite joy is and the reality that it is possible. But you see, the, the, the bridge from where we are to that place of completeness and fulfillment is a bridge that is paved in humility. And the good news is it's not paved in your humility because we didn't have enough. Christ came and offered that for us. He created the way for us to this place where complete joy is possible. And he goes on, Paul goes on to answer this how question. How do we get this complete joy? He, he writes that we are to have the same mind. That we are to have the same love. We're not to have your mind. We're not to have your love that we collectively, the body of Christ, are to have the same mind, that we're to have the same love. And we live in a world that tells us just to do things your own way, to you do you, or the Burger King slogan, probably old by now, but that you can have it your way. And we've bought into the lie of Christianity that there's like a Burger King version of Christianity. You can walk into the word of God and apply your own rules and standards to it. That I can create a comfortable Christianity for myself that revolves around my own mind and my own love. And Paul writes to correct that and to challenge us that as we seek complete joy, the way in which we seek it is to have the same mind, to have the same love. Because you see, your mind and your love will lead you to incomplete joy. You might have just enough to get by or just enough to make yourself happy for a day or two or maybe six days until you can come back to church next Sunday. But what we see here in Christ is there is infinite and completeness that is meant for us, designed for us, given to us. The struggle is we can't be trusted with our own mind, can we? So if we go on a few verses in verse 5, Paul writes to have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. What he's saying, like, no, 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 don't, you don't rely upon your own mind. You, re, you rely upon the mind of Christ that has been given to you in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And you see, that is how we can even begin to understand what he means when we say that we have the same mind or the same love. Because the great hope for us in this, in Christ, like, listen, we do not have to be satisfied with second best. Because God in Christ has come to make our joy complete. And so as we live this life together as a church and as Christians, what we see is that we seek complete joy because it is what God has meant for us. It is what God has given to us. And we do not have to settle or sacrifice for second best. I made a few jokes a week, a week or two ago about the second best peanut butter and what is the best peanut butter. And I walked into my office on Monday morning with the jar of best peanut butter sitting on my desk. And it was a good Monday morning. Here's the heart though. Like, right, listen, like God has given us his very, very best. And so we don't have to settle for the off brand. We don't have to manufacture our own way. 
All we have to do is to rely and trust that what it, he thinks is best for us is actually best for us. That's why we are called to salvation by grace through faith. It's the act of faith that we receive the gift of God and believe that it is the means to complete joy. And that in Christ, we come together to seek this complete joy. Why? Because it is accomplished by Christ and we are called to it in Christ. And if we're really honest with ourselves, like this is where it really gets real. This is what our hearts were made for. And to take that a step further, this is what the world is longing for. And we have it. We have been given it in Christ, that we have complete joy in Christ. So our, our call together as a church and as a church family is to be together, to seek complete joy together, that we could have and share the same mind and same love that God has entrusted to us in Christ. So we come together to seek complete joy. Secondly, we come together to share selfless humility. Some of the most powerful and memorable words of Scripture here, Philippians 2, verses 3 through 8, the call to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Each of you should, not, should look not only to his own interest, but to the interest of others. And have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. What did he do? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In Christ, we are together for something bigger and better than ourselves. Perhaps you heard this playing childhood sports with the old adage, there is no I in team. There's no I in church. There's a you, but that analogy breaks down, so we'll just keep moving. Like, listen, we are in this and we're in this together. And our road forward is the road of humility. Because we know, left to ourselves, we would very comfortably and casually rule on the throne of our own hearts and lives, wouldn't we? Oh, and we would make it so convenient. Oh, and we would make it so easy and comfortable. That's not the life that Christ has called us to. So we see that we're, we're called to this and we're called to share selfless humility. It's the picture of God in Christ calling us above and beyond ourselves. Calling us away from things to something that's greater. And the call of the church is, hey, we can come and we can come together around these terms. There's complete joy here, is what he's writing. There, there's complete joy when you share selfless humility. And this happens as we count others more significant than ourselves. Use this illustration last week. Like the idea here is that we literally would, would be counting attendance. One, two, three, four, five all the way to however many people are in this room worshiping the Lord Jesus together today, however many people are active members of our body of Christ at First Baptist Church. And as we count them intentionally, we're not just ascribing them a number, we're ascribing to them significance, and I am intentionally counting their significance in light of my own. I'm not just looking out for my own interest, I am counting theirs as well. Humility is the picture that you are the least significant person in the room. And that's not to say that you're not significant. That's to say that we are following the biblical command here just to consider to count others as more significant than 
ourselves, how in the world do you do this? Paul goes on to say and describe here that we look to the interest of others. This word look in the Greek, Greek is the word scopio. It's the word where we get microscope or telescope from. So as we're looking to the interest of others, this is not just a casual glance while you're walking down the sidewalk. Like this is a very focused lens here. There's a focused person or thing or object in view and you are focusing on them in the mind of Christ, not in your own mind, pursuing complete joy. And you're doing so to intentionally and purposely look to them and have this mind of Christ that is ours because you see your interest and your mind will never result in the mind of Christ. No matter how you manipulate that equation, no matter how you change those variables around, that your interest and your own mind will never result in the mind of Christ. And because that's true, then the call for us is for us to come together, same mind, same love, same spirit, come together underneath this banner of, of Christ and seek what is primary. Well, then the follow-up question to that is, well, what do we do with these secondary things? What, what do we do with these things that I care about and, and I hold deeply, but it seems to be my, my brother or my church member or my Sunday school class member or another deacon or another Sunday school teacher, they tend to have a different perspective on some of these things. Like how do we live this out with the same mind and, and same love if there's differences in this? And I think what Paul's saying here is you take those things, you take those secondary things, and you take your, your shovel, right, and you climb up Calvary's hill, right to the foot of the cross, and you start digging a little hole for that concern that you hold so deeply, that secondary passion that you have in your heart and your life. And you take those secondary disagreements and you bury them in the dirt of Calvary's hill, where the sacrifice of Christ on the cross was enough for the forgiveness of our sins. It also prioritizes our heart that we can live this out in a way that's honoring to the Lord Jesus, seeking complete joy, sharing selfless Humility, because if we're honest with ourselves, many of the things that we call secondary in God's list, they're not even on the list. It's just an idol in our own heart that we care about too much. Or perhaps it's something in our own heart that we care about too little. But nonetheless, as we seek and live into and share selfless humility, there is a clear picture here that we are together and we are together in Christ, following the model of Christ. I think a healthy realization for us, for me at least this week in my study, was that Christ, he didn't just want to possess selfless humility. He wanted to share it. You thought about that? So oftentimes in the Christian life, we are content, we are content with possessing something. We are content with possessing knowledge. We're content with possessing a, 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 a way to share our faith. We're content with possessing spiritual maturity. We're, we're, we're content with possessing these things. But the model of scripture is that you possess something to share something. Like the only reason that God has given you those things is so that you can make much of him as you share that with someone else. So we see play out all throughout the New Testament. As God is entrusting us to these things, he calls us to steward these things. What about us? Do we want to just have it? Do we want to just possess it? Or do we want to actually share it? So Jesus was talking about in Matthew 16, where he says, take up your cross daily and follow me. There's a self-sacrifice element of what we believe. Of sharing selfless humility that only is possible in and through him. 
And then we consider the extent that he was willing to go to purchase this for us, that he became obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross. One of our favorite lines in one of the songs that we sang earlier today is, it says that this is our hope, that the cross has spoken. <laughs> like for us, the church, we go back there over and over. Like our only hope is that when he said it was finished on the cross, it was really finished on the cross. Why? Because this is the picture for us, that he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So how far are we willing to go to share in this type of humility? Preacher and author Brian Chapel shares this story that I think is beautiful and captivating here. The story of an African missionary who was ministering to particular tribes in Africa. And there were, there were particular tribes in Africa where the chief of the tribe was selected because he was the biggest and strongest man in the tribe. And therefore, they would bestow upon him a large headdress and place upon him extravagant robes. And one day in one particular tribe, while a man was out drawing water from the well, somehow, no one knows how, he fell and slipped into the bottom of the well. And he was there broken and bruised with no way of escape. So the villagers looked around like, what in the world are we going to do with this broken and bruised man? None of us are strong enough to do anything about it. So they went and they summoned the chief because this task was too great for any ordinary villager. And so when the chief arrives, he assesses the situation, looks down the well and sees the helpless state of this particular man and he removes his royal robes. He takes off his royal headdress to descend all the way down to the bottom of this well and place this injured man upon his back and carried him out by his own strength. You see, this is what Christ has done for us. When we say that he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, what he had done for us, as he saw our helpless state, he saw that we were bloody and bruised and beaten, and there was no one else that had any strength to offer us, that we were helpless and in need of rescue, and he came to rescue us, that he laid aside his heavenly glory in order to save us. And he took off his royal robes, descended to that place of destitution and death to save us. You see, brother and sister, Jesus has emptied himself, taking on human flesh so that we could be filled with Christ. And on the cross of Christ, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, took off, of his, took off his royal robes, and when they were placed upon him, tattered garments. He placed aside that heavenly crown that he deserved to wear, and he wore a crown of thorns for you. That his royal, kingly, holy body was beaten beyond recognition. And on that cross... In that sacrifice, in Jesus' obedience in your place, your sin was paid in full. You see, his blood purchased your redemption. And this is humility. And this is the model, not just of Christ's love for us, but our love for one another. That Jesus made himself low so that God could raise him up. 
that Jesus made himself humble so that God could finally and fully exalt him. And so when we come together in Christ to share selfless humility, what is happening in that moment, in that precise second, is that we are following the pattern of Christ. So this call for us to come together and to share selfless humility is a call for us to seek and serve our Savior, to seek complete joy, and to share our Savior's humility. Why do we do that? Like if this last part is not true, if verses 9 through 11 are not attached to the previous eight verses, it's kind of moralistic, isn't it? Like it's kind of like a self-work, self-help prescription of religion. But here's what sets all of that apart, and it's found in verses 9 through 11, that we come together, and we come together in Christ to show that Christ is Lord. Verse 9, Therefore God has exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So why? Why do you, why do we, why do we corporately as a church, why do we seek complete joy? Why do we individually, corporately share selfless humility? It all boils down to one truth, and that truth is that Christ is Lord, that he rules and he reigns. And therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name. And because his name is above every name, then verses 1 through 8, in our heart and desire to love and serve and follow him together in Christ, takes on a whole new picture. You see, because your sin killed him, but your God exalted him. Like that's a transfer, that's a transaction that none of us can do or make. That your sin placed upon him a crown of thorns. And yet God bestowed upon him the name that is above every Name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord. So you see, our call and our call to be together is not just our battle cry. It's not just your favorite football team's chant whenever you score a touchdown. Like it's not just a trivial bumper sticker or something we just slap on and make ourselves feel good. Like our call to be together is to display the Lordship of Christ that it's only because of the transaction that he accomplished for us on the cross of Christ that we can live into this relationship and to be clear that he is Lord. So we are together and we come together and we stay together because Christ is Lord. And one day, what follows this truth, one day is that every tongue will confess it. One day, that's going to be true for us. Hey, but listen to this. We don't have to wait for eternity for us to get there. Like the heart of the Christian is not just to wait till I die so I can go be with Jesus. The heart of the Christian is to walk with him every day until you get there. And so there's a sense of your kingdom come, your will be done. Like I'm going to live this way because one day I'm going to be with him for all eternity. And I don't want to wait until I get there to enjoy this sense of life. This life where there is complete joy and where there is selfless giving and receiving of humility and the constant confession that Christ is Lord. Why? To the glory of the Father. Because the heart of individualism, 
The heart of selfishness is a means to your own glory. But, but, the heart of unity, the heart of humility, the heart of love that possesses this togetherness that we're talking about is a means to the Father's glory. You see, we haven't created this recipe. This is the truth of Scripture that's calling us to come and live and observe and obey. And that we are together in Christ because Christ is Lord. For us, the application question, and it starts in your own heart. Who rules and reigns on the throne of your own heart? What desires within you govern or dictate your life around you? In these moments, who is in charge? Who is receiving the glory from these things? Because you see, when we come together, both individually and corporately, we are proclaiming that he is Lord. And if we cannot come together, if we choose to not come together, or if we will not come together, what we are saying in every single step of that transaction is that I am Lord and I know better. The Philippians 2, it was meant for every other Christian, but it wasn't really meant for me because I kind of got it figured out. But the call of, of, of Christ here is, no, 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 that, that he is Lord. And because that true, that is true, and in his lordship he rules and reigns in your heart, then we can come and we can follow him and seek complete joy and share selfless humility. We are together to show that he is Lord of all. So for us, this is the call. As we seek to be together as a church, as we desire to live out these one another's of Scripture, as we desire to, to, to live this truth in Philippians chapter 2, that we are together in Christ. It's the only way for us to truly come together. And when we come together, we are about his business, not our own. The call to be together. But this call requires this free transaction, this free gift of salvation that God sent his son to become obedient to the point of death so that you could have life. Not just eternal life once for all forever, but real life in the here and now too. And so this offer of salvation that you can receive today by grace through faith, by turning from your sin and turning to Jesus as your savior is the call that we possess as Christians to be together in Christ. This is not like Christianity 2.0, where we try to move beyond our initial salvation. You know, like what Paul's saying, like this is the essence of salvation. This is the root of salvation. This is the foundation of salvation, that we are together because of what Christ has done for us. That offer stands for you today. If you find yourself hearing this or seated in this room, questioning that decision or wondering about that decision that you've made, it is a real invitation for you today to turn from your sin and turn to Jesus. But there's also a call here for sanctification. For us who have made that decision and find ourselves in faith following Jesus, the call to sanctification is this, that in our togetherness, we are together in Christ. If you go back to a month ago, that we are one body made up of many members, and Christ is what holds us together. His example, his, the way he walked, the way he lived, the way he died, is our example of how we are together. And in Philippians chapter 2, we see a clear call on our lives to live this life together in Christ in a way that we can seek complete joy, we can share selfless humility, 
then we can show that Christ is Lord. We declare it to one another every single time we worship, and we declare it to the world every single time we walk out of this space. That's the call of the Christian life. And it's rooted and grounded in prayer because all of this, all of these truths, all of these verses, all of these chapters, all of these sermons are bound together and they're bound together by one thing, and that's Jesus. The banner that we're called to come underneath is the same bond that keeps us together as Christians. That our hope truly is found in Christ and in him alone. That we are First Baptist Church of Rocky Mount and we are together in Christ. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, sometimes, if we're honest, the, the, the reality of some of these verses and the reality of some of our hearts, God, seems so far apart. God, the frustrations of our flesh and the power of your spirit within us, God, they're literally warring within us at times. And yet, Philippians chapter 2, we see this picture. We see this call. We see this command to come and to live and to live in Christ. Be together in Christ. And so, Father, our prayer as individuals, as Christians, as couples, as families, as a church family, God, our prayer and our petition is, Lord Jesus, keep us together in Christ so that we can declare to the watching world that Christ is Lord. So that we can model for them what it looks like to seek complete joy and to share selfless humility because of what you've done for us on the cross by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So Father, we respond now and we voice and declare that all this is true in Christ and in him alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you